Welcome to the business of being well. If you're a hands-on practitioner who wants to grow a profitable business without working your life away, you're in the right place. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. Okay, let's get started with my first question for you, which is what is your number one, your go-to, your must-do health, wellness, habit, or routine for yourself? Yeah. So (laughs) this is like pretty basic actually, but for me, it's my diet. I, um, I have an autoimmune disease. I manage it totally naturally, but diet is like very, very central to me maintaining that. And like, I've been very, very strict over the years. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the gaps diet, but I followed that like very strictly for probably four or five years. So now it's like the first thing, you know, if I start to kind of slip, I can immediately notice. So that and no alcohol, it's like my, my number one strategy for myself. That is really interesting. And by the way, basic, I think is really good. <laughs> like basic yeah. is better in most, most scenarios when we try to make things complicated, it just gets hard to stick with it, you know, mm-hmm. and we forget that like the really basic things are what matter the most. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually alcohol for me has been, um, six and a half years since I've had literally like not a sip to my lips. It has been the one thing that I have like cheated, not one iota. Um, but you know, like for me, I don't eat dairy or gluten, but like the odd time my husband will have a piece of pizza and I'll like have a bite and I kind of slip here and there, but yeah, the alcohol I find for me, it was like, as soon as I cut it out, I felt substantially better that I've just never gone back, but even my diet as well. It's like such a, like you said, like foundational piece that, the other stuff, sleep, meditation, all of that, it's super helpful for me, but like, I have to always come back to my diet and it keeps me feeling amazing. Well, and I'm glad it's that effective for you. Okay. Next question. What do you like the least about running your own business? I actually don't like maintaining the day-to-day of my business. Like I'm such an entrepreneur at heart. I've had a lot of businesses. I love like the ideation and creation and like bringing my ideas to fruition. Um, But that's why for me, like so much of what I do is teaching like streamlining and systemizing and automating and outsourcing so that actually like my businesses run very simply and I can spend most of my time like serving my clients or creating and doing the things I love and not maintaining. (laughs) Yeah, I totally relate to that. I am not a I'm not naturally a systems and procedures kind of person. Mm-hmm. I'm not naturally like, let's create a standard operating procedure. Uh, <laughs> I've learned to do that and, and learning to do that has been really important um, to really build a solid business, but like, it's been a skill that I've had to develop, but I also tend to have a lot of ideas and, mm-hmm. um, and I need a lot of space. This is probably the most challenging part, the most challenging phase of entrepreneurship right now that I've ever been in because it requires me to do a whole lot of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's this constant battle going on of like, I should be doing more and I'm so unproductive and I'm being lazy and I could do all those things that my team members are doing. And yet like, I cannot even force myself to do them. I have no choice. I have to be in this phase. I have to embrace it. And it's 
getting easier, just starting (laughs) to get easier. But yeah, it's like this whole new thing of my job is to think, think and strategize and plan. And you can only do that with empty white space, right? (laughs) Yes. The reason that I invited you to be a guest on the podcast, because there was one specific thing that you shared on social media recently that I was like, let's talk about this more because this is a thing that I've been teaching for a long time, but the way that you presented it is different. And I was like, okay, cool. I love to present similar, but different things because it might resonate with someone and help them in a different way. Okay. So let's start off with a scenario and we'll just dive in from there. So the scenario is my own scenario. When I started my own practice over, oh gosh, what has it been? Almost a decade ago. Um, I just set my office hours to be convenient and available for people, right? Mm -hmm. With one exception, which I shared with you, which is that I'm not a morning person. I know I didn't really want to make it to work by nine o'clock every day. And so I set my office hours from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. pretty much every day of the week, initially, at least. Mm -hmm. I was available, (laughs) pretty much all the time for anyone that wanted to schedule. If they wanted to come in a little early, I would do that. If they wanted to come in a little bit after my office hours, I would do that. If they needed to be in on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning, I would do that. Sometimes I would even see people on Sundays. Because I was so available for appointments, for patients, I found myself struggling hardcore with everything else that I needed to do to run a business, like staying on top of my chart notes, for example. And, and I knew um, just, I don't know, I guess from my previous education and experience that I needed to commit a lot of time to the growth of my business, but it left me with like no time dedicated to do that. So I was just trying to do it, you know, early in the morning, late at night and on the Mm -hmm. weekends. I was exhausted. And on top of all of this, I had a small child at that time who was, you know, between like zero to roughly three, four years old. At some point it became a thing for me to teach other people how to avoid burnout in their practices because it hit me much harder and much sooner in my career than what I had anticipated that it would. So that's what I did wrong. What do we do differently? Yeah. I mean, there's like so much that you said in there. Um, but I think it's honestly like a really, really common scenario that I mean, not just practitioners, I think most entrepreneurs live, but specifically I find with practitioners is like, you know, when you're in school and envisioning your practice, you're probably thinking like, okay, like, I'm going to be working with cool patients and clients. I'm going to be like really honing my craft. And like, it's very modality focused, right? You're really like thinking about yourself as a practitioner and sort of like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've got to do the business stuff, but it's not like at the forefront. And so then when you get into business, that is the, you know, that's sort of what you prioritize is like the patient facing time. Um, And it is the priority, but like when you're just getting started, like who are those patients? So You know, what I always tell people, because I find a lot of times, you know, practitioners, it's the first time they've been self-employed, whether they're transitioning from another career or they've been employed in another practice or you're just, you know, coming out of school. And when you're self-employed, you are in the driver's seat. You are in control. And you really, really, from the very beginning, have to create a business that supports your life or it'll very, very, very quickly become your life, yeah. right? And, yes. and I think in supporting your life, you have to build 
the business and add a little bit of structure so that you can get all of the pieces done in the week. Because there's honestly, there's more than enough time to get everything done. But I think the biggest mistake that I see a lot of practitioners make in the beginning with their schedules is opening up so much availability for patients and clients. And then they just sort of assume the other, the business stuff will get done, right? It's an afterthought. What I usually tell my my clients when it comes to this scheduling thing is, well, figure out how many people you want to see a week. What's your fully booked number, I call it, and how much time that's going to take. And if you are kind of close to that amount, you're 50% booked right now or above, put a lot that amount of time in the week. If you're less than 50% booked right now, you're just starting out, you don't even need all of your hours. You can expand. It is so much easier to expand your schedule than shrink it down. So usually... I like to have just the amount of hours that you can have, maybe, you know, an extra hour or two to fit in the amount you need to see. And then the rest, you actually block time for all your other tasks, whether it be charting or marketing or, you know, following up, things like that, so that it is all in your schedule, not just the, you know, patient facing time and then the rest is an afterthought. Um, But then the the last piece of this, I think, is staying very firm on this right from the beginning, right? Setting those boundaries with yourself um, because we think things will be one or two times, right? Oh, I'll just do this on a Saturday or I'll just do this in an evening. Patterns and habits form much, much faster than we realize. And, you know, I think if you start the pattern early or start the habit that you are leaking business time into the rest of your life, it does not get better, right? It only snowballs worse. (laughs) I'm sure that's what you found. Yeah, very much so. With my first practice, long story short, I, I just like, I got to a point where I was no longer okay with dealing with it all. And, um, I was pregnant and I wanted nothing more to have nothing more than to have a healthy baby. So I sold my practice. Another doctor took over, um, roughly like, I don't know, six weeks after the point of which I decided I wanted to step away from practice. So it was all very fast. And a couple of years later, I started into practice again, started with a whole different approach. Mm -hmm. I, um, kept my office expenses really low, first of all, and that was very key. And I set my office hours to be 10 to two Monday and Thursday. And then I had like four to six or four to seven, depending on what was needed, like how many people were scheduled on Wednesday evening. So it was a total of like 11 hours every week. Mm -hmm. And my practice was profitable in less than 90 days. And I remember thinking like, this is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It can be so much better. (laughs) Yes, it was so much better. And I was like excited and I was energized by my mm-hmm. practice, not drained by it. I didn't feel like it was sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could actually like get out of bed at a decent time in the morning. I wasn't struggling with, you know, fatigue and, and burnout really. Yeah. And I also knew at that point to like, make sure that I had time scheduled or like dedicated to working on marketing for that new practice. And so it was a very, very different experience. I always tell people, cause like, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, structure, like it's so formal. It's so rigid. 
Yeah. Structure will give you so much flexibility. (laughs) You will have so much more freedom and flexibility the more you have structure in your business. And I've found that, you know, this is my sixth business that I've had over the last 11 years. And I've just been sort of getting better, better at running them. And this business is highly structured and I have a lot, a lot of freedom. And, um, you know, like we were sort of saying before, you need that white space to just think and (laughs) dream and be an entrepreneur and and the structure allows you to do that. Yeah. And that's a really great point too. Like when you own the business and you work in the business, you have two primary roles that you're filling. Someone has to be the CEO of the business and someone has to be the delivery person, delivery Mm -hmm. as in like delivering the service, right? You've got to do both of those things. And so you have to make time for both of those things and not just time, but like you have to have the energy for those things. You have to have the, the bandwidth. hundred percent. And I think actually, and like, we'll probably talk about this is it's like, it's not always time. It's not always that you need like hours. Yeah. I call it like intention and attention. You just need to have some intention on certain things. It doesn't mean that they're going to take a lot of hours, but they maybe are quite important still. Yes. Okay. So I brought up the post that you had shared recently on Instagram that I was like, okay, let's talk more about this, Kate, because you have two slides here. And on the first one, it says where you think you need to spend your time. And on the second one, it says where most bookings come from. And I was like, "Mm, interesting. So really it's like where you think you need to spend your time and what you actually need to spend your time on. If we know like where most bookings are coming from, right. Then we know like, this is where we need to put our focus. We don't need to spend time on these other things. Well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, I was really careful in doing this, this post actually in not to say like, okay, this is where you need, where you think you need to spend your time versus where you actually need to spend your time. But this is why I'm saying intention and attention versus necessarily hours, because a lot of the things that are very high impact booking sources, um, they actually don't require a lot of time. So it's really about putting your focus and your energy and prioritizing the right things versus sort of needlessly spending time just because we think we should, which I, I sadly think happens a lot because like we were saying, you know, so many practitioners, they don't know the business side. You don't really learn it in school. So they get out knowing they need to be marketing and the need to get the bookings, but then they really look at what you can see, what is happening and what most people are talking about. And that happens to be the stuff you can see from scrolling Instagram or the stuff you can see on people's websites, right? It's the branding or the social media or the ads. And that's really just a small piece of the picture. Yeah, totally. And you know, as I look at this for people that can't see it, I'm going to list out the things that you've got here that are places that people think that they need to spend their time on. Okay. We've got social media, content creation, admin, referrals and reviews being only 2%. And I was like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. branding, logo, website, 10%, more credentials, and then other marketing. And, And I'm like, a lot of people that I talked to or that I've coached in the past spend a lot of time on some of these things that are really a waste of time. Their, their logo, for example, like it doesn't really matter that much, especially in the beginning when you are actually the only service provider in your practice. Later, I think 
when your if and when your vision for your your practice changes and it grows and like you're building a team of service providers, mm-hmm. that is actually more important to have a logo that represents the business. But otherwise, you are the business, right? Yeah. You don't even really need a logo if you're just like a solo practitioner, right? Right. It's it's so unimportant. Right. Um, Yeah. A lot of times the the website, retweaking the website and changing the colors and all of these things. And and it actually is, I think, similar to the more credentials, right? It's like I'll have a lot of people who are like, oh, oh, but I'm also taking this course right now. I'm also taking this right now. I'm also taking this, but I got no bookings. And I'm like, right. A lot of these things, I think, are, you know, resistance coming up, right? We're procrastinating and consuming and learning as a way to be like, well, I'm I'm doing something to grow my business. Yeah. But it's because they're either nervous to do the real impactful stuff or they don't know what to do. So, again, they're just doing what they can see, mm-hmm. thinking, you know, thinking it's the right thing. The more credentials thing is a really big pain point for me as a coach, because I see a lot of people spend a lot of time and invest a lot of money Money. into their continuing education and getting more credentials, hoping that when they have these more credentials, that's going to build their practice for them. Right. Mm -hmm. When truthfully, most people don't even know what those credentials are. No. They don't, no. they don't even know that they should be looking for someone with those credentials. So the credentials don't really matter that much. And practitioners don't like to hear that <laughs> because no. it makes us feel good when we have all those letters after our name, you know, it's like mm-hmm. sets us apart, we think, but truthfully to the general public, it really doesn't. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, like I love continuing education. I, yeah. I fully, fully support it, but when you're just starting out or you're not fully booked yet and getting fully booked is the goal. Cause that's what I do. You know, that people are coming to me cause they're not fully booked. So if fully booked is the goal, you don't need more credentials to get there after okay. you get there. Sure. Do it. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people use it as a bit of a bandaid. And, and I always say like, if you are saying the sentence, like once I have this, then this, you know, like once I have this credential, then I'll get more clients or once my website is done, then I'll be able to get visible. If you're saying any of those sentences to yourself, you got to kind of like stop right now and reevaluate because that's more mindset <laughs> issue than an actual strategy problem. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Okay. So on your next slide, then it's a pie chart and you've got it divided into one, two, three, four different places where most bookings come from with the biggest one of those four places being repeat bookings. Mm -hmm. I think we need to spend some time talking about each one of these. Yes. (laughs) And then next after repeat bookings, a smaller number of bookings comes from referrals and word of mouth. An even smaller number comes from marketing and an even smaller number comes from passive brand bookings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So if we're putting our attention on where most bookings come from, and we know that the majority of them come from repeat bookings, what does this mean we need to do in our in our practices? If anyone's listening to this right now who follows me, knows me, you know, like I am such a big fan of retention and, and not like needless retention for the sake of it, right? But like people are coming to you for results, they want something. So like the better you can get those results, 
you know, the, the better you're going to do, the more referrals you're going to get. And yeah. usually that doesn't happen in one visit. So, you know, obviously we need to be retaining and seeing repeat clients. And I analyze a lot of numbers. I analyze all my clients' data. So it's been like hundreds of practitioners over the years. And the biggest, biggest chunk of that pie is always going to be your current clients, your past patients, right? It's going to be your sort of current patient base. And the beauty of this is, is like the time involved to retain them is very, very, very small. It's very small. And actually, um, I'm coming up to doing a masterclass soon, basically revealing sort of the behind the scenes of our own clinic strategy and retention is a big part of it. So I, I know our numbers and I was running them recently. And for us, like, I think 75%, give or take, are of our total bookings are repeats, revisits in some way. And two thirds of those on average, we rebook in clinic. So before they leave, they're rebooked for their next one. Even if it's three months from now, they're rebooked two thirds of the time on average. So that totals 50% of our practices bookings. So I actually think like one of the highest impact skills for you to master as a manual therapist or one-on-one -on -one, like in-person clinician is rebooking people in clinic. Mm -hmm. If you can rebook people in your appointments, it requires no additional time and it can account for 50% or more of your total bookings. And I know it's a skill that some people have no trouble with, but I see it as a skill that a lot of practitioners really struggle with um, because, you know, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking. It can be a bit scary to recommend people to come back in. Absolutely. There was another post that you had shared. It's um, a little bit further back on Instagram and you had talked about, it was like, we typically say this, mm -hmm. but instead of saying it this way, say it this way. <laughs> and I love this post uh, literally with the heart on it. Um, <laughs> so an example here was you can reschedule in two weeks if you feel like you need another appointment. And instead of saying that, and then just kind of like walking away, <laughs> um, there's an alternative option that you've given here and it says, I'd like to see you again in two weeks. Does the 17th or 18th work better for you? Mm -hmm. Like you've just given me a choice essentially to, you know, schedule yeah. that next appointment. And, and really simple. Simple. I was going to say, it, I mean, there are a few other things like in appointments that you can do to sort of support it along so that people are even asking you when they should rebook. But yeah, I mean, mastering your language around inviting people or really what I consider it is like, it's a professional recommendation, right? You are the professional. They are seeing you because they don't know. So you are making the professional recommendation as to what they need to do next, which includes when they need to come back in. Right. So, you know, a lot of people will say like, Oh, you know, I don't want to be pushy. Right. I don't want to push them into another appointment. Personally, I think when you don't make the recommendation or you don't tell them when they need to come back in, no, you're not being pushy, but you're also not giving them the choice right? When you recommend, you're giving them the choice and they can make the empowered decision to say, yes, I want to continue with my care or no, I'm going to make the personal decision that, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't work for me. And I won't I mean, most people, if they're already there, they're going to commit to their health. But I think as the professional, you really need to make the recommendation so that the patient can make their own final decision. 
Yeah. And if we think about this in regards to how the nervous system works, specifically how the brain works in decision-making processes, there, there isn't a decision-making process happening in the brain when you just say to someone, you should probably come back in a couple of weeks. Yeah. They just hear information. That's mm-hmm. it. But when you ask the question, then things start happening in their brain where they they're like making a decision. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are forcing them or pushing them to make a decision. You've just asked a question to invite them to make a decision. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's very simple. Like literally anyone, you know, go find that post, use that exact language. It doesn't really have to be more complicated than that. Always. I recommend this and does this work for you, right? Which is better? You know, you ask them the question after, like you said, to elicit a response and, and then you rebook because that I think is one of, again, the most foundational skills get really, really good at rebooking people in practice. You don't have to do work outside of it. Right. And and boom, that's 50% of your bookings right there. Yeah. That's a really great point too, because, um, you know, most of us, like we love what we do, but we don't want to do it all the time. <laughs> we want to still have a life. We want to have room for our family. We want to have room for taking care of ourselves. And the truth is there are only 24 hours in the day. So if you can maximize your efforts in your practice with what you're going to be doing with the patients that are showing up or the clients that are showing up, then doing that allows you to have the space that you want to have with your family and for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I always say like, no one is handing you an award for like the most hours worked, right? No one cares how much you do, do the least amount. And this is coming from like a type A high achieving, like workaholic perfectionist. No one cares. Do less, just do the minimum effective effort. I say like the minimal amount. And that's why I like to look for these very high impact strategies. Where do most of your bookings come from? How do you get the highest amount of bookings with the least amount of effort and prioritize those things first and foremost? You'll, you'll like, (laughs) your life will change. I, I swear. Okay. One other thing that I wanted to talk about is how small of the pie referrals and word of mouth is where we were talking about where most bookings come from, right? And I thought, again, this just kind of reiterates the point of repeat bookings being a thing that we really want to put our attention on, um, Mm -hmm. making sure that we're making strong and clear recommendations for the people who do show up in our practice and um, not creating what I've called in the past a leaky bucket where it's like yes. someone comes in for that first appointment and you don't really create a treatment plan or clear recommendations for them. Oh, there's a lot to say about this. Like you give them this sense of, well, I was here one time and things didn't really change unless on have worked. Yeah. It, well, then we like we can go down the whole rabbit hole. For that, right? <laughs> I know that's what I was saying. Like, there's just so much about the retention that the piece that I love, and and exactly setting clear expectations and communicating treatment plans. Like, there's there's more to it than just I recommend you do this. But it, it can be quite simple. But it's a I think outside of your modality, people really focus on like what they're actually doing, but there's so much more to the actual appointment um, in the intangible skills that really support patients. Um, I think just as much, if not more than the like, you know, manual treatment you're delivering. Okay. So in regards to yeah. referrals and word of mouth, the thing that mm-hmm. stands out to me here as I considered this was 
that most people think that referrals and word of mouth means that you don't have to do anything. And and that's why I think you were surprised when you saw the first slide where it says, you know, only 2% of time is spent on referrals and reviews, right? People assume that it's a passive approach. And there's a statistic and I like wish I had remembered the exact statistic, but it's something like 83% of people say they are happy to give a referral, but only 29% actually do, right? So you are losing out again on like 50% of the the referrals. Um, And while they are, you know, in terms of total bookings in your practice, a smaller amount, they're generally going to be the biggest piece of new bookings, right? There's basically new people and then there's existing people. And the biggest amount of new people generally is going to come from referrals. And I like to take a much more active approach to it, um, where you are actively just asking your community for referrals and reviews, because I think reviews also, um, a lot of people will have like the automated triggered thing that sends people and ask for a Google review. Like you're not going to get nearly as many reviews if you just ask people because the referrals and reviews then become very, very like much high quality, much more high quality bookings. And again, it can be about 30 minutes a week or so, you know, you spend 30 minutes max an hour and you are out there asking people for referrals and reviews. That's again, you know, in our practice specifically, about 15% of our new bookings come from referrals or word of mouth. But for months, now we don't actively ask for them quite as much, but we still actively ask for the reviews. But in the beginning, actively asking, right, getting people used to referring you, it will speed up the process of word of mouth much, much faster. And again, we're talking 30 to 60 minutes a week for pretty much like the bulk of your new bookings, right? So you know, 50% of your bookings can come from just getting really good at rebooking people in clinic, probably another 10, 15, 20% of your bookings can come from just 30 minutes to an hour a week, asking people for referrals and reviews, which is really awesome. And yeah, yeah, I feel like if I had um, known these things sooner in practice ownership, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here because I started this podcast to help, you know, to help people like learn from my own experience and learn how to do it differently and avoid, avoid getting burned out. Really. It's become really clear to me over the last couple of weeks. My mission is to make the world a healthier place. And I can't do that alone. Like we need as many health and wellness practitioners out there filling their practices because when that happens, that means that the utilization of natural, alternative, holistic health and wellness options is increasing, yes. right? And if we're all taking a passive approach to building our practice and hoping, you know, like just hoping that other people refer to us and then spending time creating content on social media instead, we're actually missing the boat. Like we're missing the opportunity to improve, increase the utilization and make the world a healthier place. Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. It's why I started this business as well, right? Like I have leaned so heavily on alternative and complementary medicine over the years for my own health. And 
I would go see practitioners who were like incredible. And I remember one time my massage therapist told me that I was her only booking that week. She was in Toronto. It's not a cheap city. And she had made a hundred dollars that week. And I was like, "Mm -mm, no, no way. And my husband, you know, at the time was in chiropractic school or they're like just finishing up and they learned nothing about how to actually bring people in. And so I'm thinking in my head, like, all of these people out there, you know, like myself, like I was hunting on Google, right? I was searching for like practitioners who were really, really good in what I needed. And it was so hard to find because everyone was like cookie cutter, generic, 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 like all the same language, right? Mm -hmm. People are like, I think the thing that a lot of practitioners don't realize is like with marketing, you don't need to force, you don't need to coerce, you don't need to trick people into working with you. They are searching for you right now and they're searching for the right practitioner for them. And so, so much of what you do is really about just meeting the needs and making it clear like what needs you serve. And it can be so much easier than we think to grow. (laughs) There are more than enough people out there that want exactly what you offer. It's just about, you know, finding them and really making those active connections rather than waiting passively for them to come and find you because they can't find you. It's not easy. Right. Yeah. And we want to think that it's easy. (laughs) We want to think like, well, I have this business now everyone knows. And that's just really not what happens. No. And especially if you're, you know, let's say a chiropractor, because that's sort of both of our worlds that, you know, if you have a list of 25 things on your website that you treat and you sort of just sound like a generic chiropractor doing all the same things, like, how do you stand out for someone who has just had ACL surgery and needs to rehab it or for the senior who is dealing with like chronic pain, right? Like everyone has a specific need. And, you know, a lot of practitioners now we're kind of getting off on a different topic, but like a lot of practitioners come to me, um, you know, they don't want a niche and it's not, you don't have to niche. You don't have to like really, really focus, but you do need to get the word out there and take an active approach to sharing really specifically the needs that you're very good at serving, right? The situations that people are in and how you can serve them. And it doesn't have to be plastering yourself all over social media. It can be really just actively letting your community and uh, patients and friends and networks and other professionals know very clearly what it is that you do. (laughs) And things can grow much, much faster from there. They can really start to snowball. I think that we actually are each other's best allies. (laughs) You know, um, we tend to think that we're in competition with anyone else that is in health and wellness or specifically anyone else that helps improve the health of the nervous system and chiropractors tend to get really, um, like territorial about like, well, we are the only people that can heal the nervous system. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been a chiropractor for almost a decade and a half. And I just don't, like, I don't agree with that. I think, you know, acupuncture and even, um, nutrition and, oh, I don't know, sleep. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many things that can also help to heal the nervous system. Um, but my point is we're not in competition with each other. We are actually each other's best allies because we all have the same mission, really. Like we all want to make the world a healthier place. 
Mm-hmm. And none of us can do it alone. None of, like no one of us can help 8 billion people on the planet. Yeah, it, it's so true. And I think, you know, once we start realizing that there is more than enough room and there's more than enough people for everyone. And yeah. I think a lot of it also, right. It comes from fear and scarcity of like, Oh, there's not enough for me. I must hang on to all of them. But yeah. once we realize, and we're not in a place of so, so much scarcity, right. We realize there's more than enough. We feel a little bit more confident in what we should be doing to spend, you know, where we should be spending our time to grow. And you're starting to see things flow a little bit more and you're starting to see things build. It becomes a little bit easier to sort of loosen the reins a little bit and, and realize that there's so many practitioners of all different kinds that can support one another, right? It's actually um, a really amazing industry. And I've worked in a lot of different industries and I love, love, love supporting health and wellness practitioners because their mission is so heart-centered, it is so real, and it is so, so needed today. Yeah, I say this all the time. I've been saying this for years, but it's like needed now more than ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's what's that saying? Like the best day to plant a tree was 25 years ago. The second best day is today. I think it's the same with people's health, right? And every day, just more and more people are waking up to the different alternatives outside of maybe um, conventional medicine or incongruence with that. And um, I think it's really, really amazing everything that practitioners do. And it's why I love like, you don't need to be spending 20 hours a week or 10 hours a week or even five hours a week on social media, right? Do a little bit. And then you actually can spend the bulk of your time doing what you came to do, doing what you studied so hard to do, and ultimately what you love, right? I'm sure most most practitioners would rather be with their patients and clients than doing the social media. So, you know, when you get a little bit more clear on really what moves the needle in your practice, I actually think you can do much more and much more of what you love. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Share with people before we wrap up, where can they go connect with you? Where can they learn more about what you do? Yes. So probably the two best places, if you want to chat, you can always reach out to me on Instagram at Matheson and co. Um, But I'm always really happy to chat. You can drop me a DM. I'm like not on there every day, but you know, I'll see your message. Um, And then the other is my website. You can find a bunch of resources, although sort of under construction at the moment, but you can go to mathsonandco.ca and there's tons and tons of free resources out there for health and wellness practitioners. Thank you again so much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Great way to end the week. Do you want to make more money without squeezing more patients or clients onto your schedule? If that's you, be sure to take my free class. In it, you'll learn how to bring leveraged income into your practice so you can work less, live more, and help more people than ever before. You can get signed up by going to drdanielleaton.com and click free.